Welcome back to Face It, You're Afraid. In this episode, I want to talk about doing something very personal or meaningful as a way to overcome your fears and live a happier life or more fulfilled life. It's my belief that if you can make something very personal to you, it's more likely to stick versus overcoming a fear in a way that might be prescribed by a self-help book or a professional or your family or friends. I think you have to make it something that truly has a meaning, even if only to you. In fact, I think sometimes those are the best. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. Okay, the goat has nothing to do with the podcast, but I just wanted to insert it because it's funny. Uh, And also because it gets your attention while I give you my standard disclaimer, as I will always do. I am not a psychiatrist. I'm not a physician of any kind. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. This podcast does not represent the views of my employer, my family, my friends, former employers, or any association to which I may belong. This is just me having a conversation with you, my listener, and hoping that it might help you along the way. Fair enough? All right, let's keep going. In my first podcast, I mentioned that I had overcome a fear of flying, and I did it in a couple of ways. Uh, One was a very practical thing that people would understand because it was practical, uh, at least in most people's eyes. Um, I did something else that a lot of people would think is insane, especially if they have a fear of flying. But to me, I found a very personal reason for making that, um, what's the right word, important to me or valuable to me and knowing, and I, and it was kind of made up actually. I, I put, got this crazy notion in my head. Um, that if I did this thing, uh, I would overcome my fear. And you know what? It worked. And it might have been me tricking myself. I don't know. Uh, What I know is that it worked. And it was at that moment that I realized that sometimes you have to find those things that really have a different kind of meaning for you to make them stick and to make them work long term. So that's what I did. So where do I begin? Uh, My first corporate job many years ago required me to travel and most of the trips were not long distance they were to the midwest i was flying from dallas to you know the chicago area or missouri or places like that Um, so typically pretty short flights but because i had this fear i would find lots of reasons to be scared to death to get on the plane and it wasn't just the act of getting on the plane it was all the things that would cause the plane flight to be icky for me. So, uh, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth can have iffy weather sometimes, uh, especially in the spring, um, really any time of year, but especially in the spring. Uh, we get a lot of thunderstorms. And I <laughs> would watch the forecast for days and pray for perfect weather, not too much wind, no threat of thunderstorms or rain, because that would just send me off the edge. Uh, And then I would look at the forecast for where I was going, um, and especially in the wintertime, because if I was going to Iowa um, or or somewhere in Illinois or 
or Missouri, anywhere where they could have the potential for snow, uh, I was scared to death again because of the landing. I didn't want to fly in snow. I didn't want to land in it. I didn't want to deal with sleet. I just I found all these reasons to be upset. Uh, of course, turbulence, no brainer, that would upset me. Um, I would get nauseated. Um, I, I felt like I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink anything. Um, every little movement set me off. Um, I sure as heck couldn't get up and like walk to the restroom because, oh, heaven forbid, there should be turbulence while that happened. Um, so I made up a lot of stuff in my head that was, anyway, it was very uncomfortable and it made it hard to take those trips. Um, but on one of those trips, actually, I was reading an in-flight magazine and I read about a former flight attendant who had started a course in the DFW area about how to survive a plane crash. Not how to overcome your fear of flying, but how to survive a plane crash. And that's one of those things I've talked about before where I say you have to dissect the fear and you have to figure out what exactly is it that you are afraid of. Make it something tangible. Make it something real instead of this made-up fear. Because, by the way, all these fears are irrational anyway, right? Um, and to me it was like, yeah, it's like I want to know how to survive if the plane goes down. If I have any chance of surviving, I want to know what I need to do that the average person doesn't know how to do. Um, and I was lucky in that my boss at the time said, hey, the company will pay for you to take this course, which was really a lovely thing to do. Um, and, you know, in the process of having that conversation, I found out how many other people at my company weren't terribly comfortable flying either, which is amusing to me, but it's pretty common. So... This flight attendant had done something really cool. She was very practical, no nonsense, obviously knew all the all the rules, right? She'd been a flight attendant for a long time. She had either rented or, or got purchased warehouse space near the airport. And as part of the training, she had a plane fuselage in this big warehouse. So with seats in it and the whole thing, um, there were not wings sticking out from it, but she had ways to mimic the wings um, um she had one of she had a oh, what, what, like a scaffolding that would be the height of a wing so that if you had to um you know uh jump off a slide or jump onto one of those inflatable slides you would be at the right height for that um she had all the i'm kind of jumping around here but she had all the things you needed to practice if you had a fear of flying which is pretty cool so you learned how to feel around in the dark to find your life jacket and put it on. And she would talk about, she would talk about the impracticality of a flight attendant being there to help you in the event of an accident. Because you don't know what's going to happen to the flight attendant if there's a crash or, a, or an emergency landing, right? You may be on your own. So she, or, or maybe all the lights go out, maybe it's at night. So you've got to be able to feel your way um, if you're over water, to find that life, uh, life vest and put it on properly and all those things. Um, you have to learn how to jump off the slide properly. So we practiced that, which was actually a lot of fun. Um, I wanted to do it a lot more than they would allow because that part was fun. The most interesting, scary, but empowering part was the part where you are in the fuselage of the plane and you're sitting there and you're buckled in like you're on a flight and she would um, mimic... An emergency landing and 
what she didn't tell you is, is that in the process of this, this drill that you're going through, she would turn off the lights so it would pitch black, and then they would fill the cabin with smoke. Now, because this was a drill, um, it wasn't toxic smoke, but you don't know that. You can smell it, and your instinct is to freak out like you can't breathe. At least it was for me. So she starts yelling in the middle of this drill. That she starts yelling out like, you know, brace, brace for the landing and all the things that she tells you to do about how to put your head down and what you need to do and then what happens as soon as you hit the ground. So you, you're not in motion, obviously, because this fuselage is stationary. Um, but it's scary. And when things go black in the cabin and they pipe in this smoke, non-toxic smoke, you still think you can't breathe. And your adrenaline just absolutely starts racing. But in the process of learning all the steps that she tells you, uh, and you um, are yelling out the commands with her, that's very empowering. And when you've got all this adrenaline flowing, the fact that you're yelling helps get some of that out and makes you feel a little better. Um, but the, one of the things you have to practice, and this, <laughs> this is where I screwed up, you have to practice opening the emergency door and getting out onto the wing, getting off the wing, or standing on the wing and helping other people off. Um, and she teaches you how to do that. Now, uh, when you're nervous, you forget some of the instructions. So a couple things happen. Um, I had no problem opening the emergency door because it's about 50 pounds, or at least the one we practiced with was 50 pounds. But um, your, your adrenaline's pumping so much that you could probably lift a house, right? So I got that door off there by myself, no problem. What you're supposed to do is put your foot out on the wing first th so you get your bearing. You, you can feel it with your foot. Then you stick your head out the window and that, or out the door, um, and that helps you with your balance. And then you step out the rest of the way, then you help other people off, off, you know, out onto the wing. Um, but, but your instinct doesn't want to do that. Your instinct is to stick your head out first and then the rest of your body, which is of course what I did. And that caused me to literally fall off this imaginary wing and fall onto the ground. Um, I didn't get hurt, but, um, you know, you, once you do that, you learn not to do that again. Anyway, more detail than you wanted to know. And if you have a fear of flying, I probably just made you feel worse. Um, that was a very empowering course um, because then I, I, while I was still afraid to go on flights, I would do all the things she told me to do. Like I would, <laughs> and this is a good thing for everybody to do. Um, I would, if I were not in the emergency exit row, I would look at who was in the emergency exit row and see if I thought they were capable of getting that door off there. Because one of the things she would teach you is, um, you know, if you have to, you're going to run up there, yell at this person if they look like they're frozen and say, get out of my way. I know what I'm doing. Right. And literally get them out of the way so that you can get the emergency door open. Um, and so I would always look at who was in the exit row to see if I thought they knew what they were doing. And of course, now the airlines actually ask the question when you're when you're sitting in an exit row. But at the time, they didn't do that. But even so, sometimes I see people and I think like, oh my God, you wouldn't know what to do. I can just tell by looking at you, you would not know what to do. Um, 
I, you know, I do things like um, I count the lights on the floor and I count how many are up to the next exit if I'm not sitting in an extra row. Because if things go completely black, you can count those lights in the dark and know when you have gotten to an exit if you're in a very strange situation. So those are just a couple examples of things that she taught. So that was helpful. And uh, that course did help me overcome some of my fear. It helped me be better prepared. But the thing that really worked for me, uh, like I said, is the thing that most people would think is completely insane. So, uh, one of the things my, my dad, well, let me back up. My father was, um, flew bombers um, in World War II and the Korean War and then B-52s during the Cold War era. Uh, and then he retired when I was just two years old, or at least he retired from the Air Force and then started another career. So he was, by his own admission, he was always a white-knuckle flyer, which I find amusing. Um, but one of the things he told me many, many times that was, that was terrific for him was learning to fly in a Stearman biplane, like a World War I biplane. And when these young men, like my father, who were, you know, just 18, 19 years old, were learning to fly, they would learn to fly in Stearman biplanes. Um, and, you know, the way he described it to me was a very romantic experience, that you are open air because you are. You're, you're not in one of those silver tubes. You're in the air, you know, with the wind in your face. And, you know, nothing in front of you but these very light wings and a prop. And you're flying among the clouds, truly. Uh, you're not as high up off the ground, so you can really see things when you're in a biplane because you're not so high in the sky. My dad said in his own mind he thought they were safer, too, because the way they were constructed, they were so light that, you know, if the prop, it, as long as something didn't happen to the wings or the body of the plane, if the plane was intact but the prop stopped, um, they catch so much air uh, and I don't know if this is true or not. I'd have to ask an aviation expert. But the way my dad described it is that you could kind of float down. You wouldn't just fall out of the sky. And it wouldn't be a gentle float, but it wasn't quite as bad as, you know, something crazy like being in a jet. Um, and the way he used to describe it was such a beautiful experience that I thought, man, that sounds really cool. And when he would describe it, like my own fear didn't kick in because it sounded like something like being a bird, you know, like like you flying. Right. Um, and I used to think about that a lot and think, man, God, if I could do that, man, if I could do that, I would overcome my fear of flying. I don't know why I said that, but it struck me that if I could do that, I'd overcome my fear. And then my husband and I moved to a home in the Dallas area where we are near a small um, oh, a small, you know, neighborhood airport where uh, they have a flight museum uh, and they have a lot of corporate jets that take off and stuff. Uh, but they have a flight museum with a lot of cool vintage airplanes uh, from World War II uh, and others. And they happen to have a Stearman biplane. And so for the longest time after we moved in the house, especially in the summertime, I would be out gardening and I would see the Stearman biplane fly over our house. Uh, and it would happen all the time. Like I would see it every weekend. And I would point to it and I would.
would watch it go by and I told my husband, if I could just do that, I would overcome my fear of flying. And he was like, what? You know, and I told him about my dad's experience. So uh, one Christmas, my husband called my bluff. He went to the flight museum and uh, found out that you could get a gift certificate to go for a ride in the biplane. Uh, and it was like $125. It wasn't even that much money at the time. Um, so, I mean, I, I think it should be more than that, but it, it, that doesn't sound like a lot of money to me to do that. So one Christmas, he gave me the gift certificate to fly in the biplane. And when I opened it, I was delighted and horrified at the same time. And I felt the adrenaline start like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. I got to do this. You know, it's Christmas Day. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to do this because he's going to think I'm a failure if I don't. And my husband said, look, if you don't do it, I'll do it. I'll use the gift certificate. But you've been saying you want to do it, so let's do it. Okay. Right. So it took me about six months to overcome my uh, hesitation, you know, and to, uh, to follow through. But I remember it being early June, and it was an unusual day because he, by June it's pretty hot here in Texas. But it was a beautiful day. It was sunny. We had one of the last quote-unquote cool fronts to come through before summer really kicked in. So the air was dry and it wasn't as hot. There was a pretty strong north breeze that day. Uh, and that was the day I decided to go up in the biplane. So, uh, gosh, there's so much about that experience. I'm going to pause and then uh, come back and finish the... Uh, the rest of this uh, discussion. I need to think about it because I get my adrenaline starts pumping right while I'm talking about it. Is that enough dramatic effect for you? Yeah. So here's the things I remember about that day, or at least once we got to the airport. Uh, I met the pilot who was a wonderful young man um, who was a former Air Force officer. Uh, which I thought was a good omen since my dad had served in the Air Force. And um, he and another gentleman walked me through, you know, all the details of the plane. You know, walked me around the plane, showed me the inside before I climbed up into one of the, the, cock, the cockpit area. Um, the, all of it. But I remember I was so nervous, and you can see it in some pictures of me. My, you know, my smile looked very, very strained. Uh, but, you know, they showed me all around told me all the stuff uh, and then I was like okay let's do this let's just get it done and then I remember uh, before I completely climbed into my seat in the biplane uh, the other guy comes to me with a parachute for real and says do you want a parachute and I'm like what the actual hell and I'm like do I need one I'm like I don't know what to do with it and he's like, well, you just pull this cord here. And I'm like, no, seriously, am I going to need this? Of course, now I'm starting to freak out. And he said, some people feel more comfortable with it. And I'm like, I, I don't know. No, I don't want to parachute. I don't know what to do with it. I mean, I was just, you know, at that point, my brain was fried. Um, so, no, I didn't take the parachute. Uh, and then he goes, do you get nauseated? And I'm like, yeah, I'm nauseated right now. Can you imagine what it's like when I'm in the sky? And he's like, all right, we're going to get you a couple of baggies. So they hand me a couple of big baggies. And I clutch those things like for dear life. Uh, 
And then um, I climbed into the cockpit and it's uh, it felt very tight. I guess it's supposed to, um, but there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in there. I climb in there uh, and I'm not a tiny person, but but even then it's just it's just a tight space. Um, and I get, you know, seat belt strapped in, all that stuff. Uh, and then I put on the old leather helmet like the guys wore in World War One, which was actually kind of fun. So tucked my hair up in there, put on the leather helmet. Um, there's a, uh, there's, you know, I could hear. So there's like earphones um, and there was a, a mouthpiece so I could talk to the pilot and he could talk to me. So we get all that ready and he's like, all right, you ready to go? And I'm like, sure, why not? Uh, you know, and my husband is giving me the thumbs up and I'm thinking, God, you know, I'm regretting this decision. We haven't even left the hangar area. Uh, but anyway, he fires up the, the plane, um, which makes me nervous. Uh, and then we start taxiing out to the main runway, which makes me really nervous. Uh, and of course, the wind's kind of blowing hard that day from the north. So we're going to take off into the wind, into the north. Um, and the pilot um, stops at the end of the runway and he's testing everything. So I was sitting in front. He's sitting in the back. And he's talking to me and he's saying, Robin, you're going to see the joystick between your legs and you're going to see it moving. That's me testing everything. We're going to turn the plane to the left and the right. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm checking all the controls. I'm making sure everything works right. You're going to hear me talking to the tower, blah, blah, blah. And, and I was sort of paying attention to him, but I was so scared that I wasn't really paying attention to him. And I, and I felt like I was hyperventilating at that point. And then I just remember thinking, you know, okay, talk to God, do something, like do something. You know, I've got to get, I've got to like calm down before we take off. And then I felt the pilot's hand on my shoulder, on my right shoulder. And I thought, God, he must be able to see how bad I'm shaking. I'm shaking so badly right now. And then I turned to my right and I realized there was no hand there. Um, because he could, first of all, he was doing all the things he needed to do before takeoff, but uh, he couldn't have reached me from where he was anyway. And then I got real calm, like it washed over me. And, you know, for those of you who believe in a higher power, I have always believed that that was either the hand of providence, the hand of God, uh, or my mom, the one who instilled the fear in me. Um, she had passed away, uh, how many years, several years before that anyway. And, um, something touched my shoulder. I know that. I know I didn't imagine it. Um, but I got very, very calm. And in that moment, it was like I heard an inner voice that said, I'm sorry I did this to you. And it made me realize that, you know, maybe, maybe it was me talking to myself, but I felt like it was my mom saying, look, I know I did this to you and you're going to be okay. Uh, and I almost, you know, I almost burst into tears at that point, but I really needed to be paying attention because we were about to take off. Uh, and sure enough, then we, we, you know, moved out to the main runway and he's like, all right, Robin, here we go. Um, and one of the things that's really interesting is you, you gain speed, but you don't feel like you're getting that much speed because the suckers only go on like 80 miles an hour. I mean, biplanes don't go that fast. It's not like a commercial jet. Um, the other thing that you notice really quickly is that there's so much lift on a plane that light that you are up in the air really fast. I mean, it felt like we were barely down the runway and it's like, whoa, here we go, right? 
Um, and the first thing I remember was, um, oh my God, everybody's got a swimming pool, which duh, everybody, lots of people have swimming pools in Texas because it's hot. Uh, but I remember that looking around going, holy crap, everybody's got a swimming pool. Um, and then suddenly I realized back where I was again. I'm in a crate, and I mean, I'm in a crate. And when you're in something that lightweight, the wind is bumping you around like you are bumping all over the place. It is freaky. But if you can maintain your composure, you look ahead, and, and it is that moment. It's sort, of like, it's sort of like in the movie Titanic where she says, I'm flying, or I'm, you know, he says, I'm king of the world, that whole scene. Um, it's like that. You suddenly realize, I'm up here with the birds. I'm up here in the clouds. And it's gorgeous. It's just, I don't know how to describe it. It, it really is like you are flying. It's incredible. Um, and so I enjoyed that for a couple minutes. And then I realized I was getting really nauseated because you are getting bumped around in the crate. Um, so I threw up and it was horrible. I had to put my head down. I threw up so badly. And the pilot, you know, was talking to me through the headset and he said, I'm going to take you out over Lake Louisville because we get out of the water the bumpiness will smooth out. So he did that. He flew out over a nearby lake, um, and I enjoyed that part very much. It was absolutely gorgeous. Um, and then I know we flew around probably for 20, 25 minutes maybe. Um, but then I remember coming in for the landing. We, um, we kind of, well, long story. But anyway, we were coming in for a landing uh, when we got back to the airport, and I threw up again. I was just, the bumpiness was horrible. But I also remember thinking, I'm not throwing up because I'm scared. I'm throwing up because it's bumpy. And it was in that moment I realized, okay, did it. I overcame this fear. Uh, the, the other thing I kept thinking about is so random, but there was a movie um, called The Great Waldo Pepper that came out in the early 70s. And Robert Redford was the star. And that film happened to be made, or at least part of it was filmed in Central Texas, where I grew up. I grew up in and around Austin. Um, and I had a huge crush on Robert Redford when I was a kid, and I thought it was really cool that he was this barnstorming guy named Waldo Pepper flying a biplane, and that kept sticking in my head, too, like, I want to fly like that. Um, and then there was another thing that was so random that stuck in my head. Um, the movie Out of Africa, also with Robert Redford, came out in the mid-'80s with uh, Meryl Streep. And there are scenes where they are flying over Africa. And it is such a romantic, beautiful moment when they're flying in this biplane. And that image stuck with me. And that scene, or those scenes stuck with me about how beautiful they were. And there was something about that that made me begin to think about flying differently. As something beautiful and serene and a different way to see the world than this terrible, scary thing that, that you know, I didn't want to do. So all these things are playing in my head right about the time I throw up again, right before landing. And then we get on the ground and the pilot's talking to me and I'm thanking him and he's like, how was it? I'm like, I was scared, but I did it. Uh, and I remember there's a picture when we got near the hangar again where my husband was standing by taking pictures and I held up my barf bag full of barf, which is really supremely unattractive. Um, but it was pretty funny. The thing I also remember is that I had built this up so much that I, I couldn't get out of the... See, I, I get breathy talking about it. I couldn't get out of the plane. Like, 
even though I hadn't been running, my legs were shaking so badly and my brain was racing and my adrenaline was racing. And of course I wasn't feeling good because I'd thrown up twice. Um, so they had to help get me out of the cockpit. And then I remember walking into the hangar barely. I had, had to hang, well, see I'm stuttering. I had to hang on to my husband. And then I sat down on a bench for, gosh, it felt like an eternity because I was just overwhelmed with the experience and what had just happened. Um, because I had all these pleasant memories and all these things I had built up in my head, the romanticism, the, you know, I was in the, in the air. I was literally in the air without anything around me except this crate. Um, all of it um, that I had told myself to do this and I would overcome my fear and most importantly feeling a hand on my shoulder that was a big thing and I will never ever forget that um, so that was it um, after that I pretty much could get on a plane without too much problem now I have been on a couple flights that were really turbulent that were unpleasant um, but I have flown to Australia and Asia and Europe and you know other parts of North America, uh, the Caribbean. I just, I don't, it's, you know, I've been to Hawaii a few times. I just, it's not a big deal anymore. Um, and part of the reason why I think this is so meaningful is because I made it personal. I remembered my father during those times. I thought about my mom and I thought about, you know, how sad it was that she hadn't overcome some of her fears and I didn't want to be like that. Um, I thought about the places I was going to be able to see now and the things I'd be able to do. Um, it was a it was a pretty big deal. Um, now, I will say this. Because it wasn't the most pleasant experience, it was overwhelming. Uh, a couple of years later, I went back to the airport and we got to bring my dad, who was still alive at the time, and got to take him up in a biplane, which was super cool. Um, and he absolutely loved it because he hadn't done that since he was a kid. Um, and then I did it again and had an absolute blast. Took my camera with me, got lots of photos, um, I, because I wasn't afraid anymore. Um, and I had a much better experience the second time. So, um, that's how I overcame. So what's the point of me telling you this story? because it was very personal to me for a whole lot of reasons. And I didn't tell you the really cool part. A couple of years later, I got to do it again because I wanted to do it without being scared or throwing up. And I will admit I took an anti-nausea medicine before I went back to the airport. But my father um, obviously was still alive at the time and so we took him and he got to go up in the biplane. Not with me, because we had to have a pilot, uh, so we had to do it one at a time. But my dad, who had learned to fly in a biplane, and was the one who ultimately inspired me to suck up and get in that biplane, got to do it himself on a beautiful summer day. Um, and that made me teary-eyed as well, and he thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, as did I. I went up with my camera, I wasn't afraid, I got lots of pictures. Um, we did a slip landing coming in, which is, well, look it up. It was really fun. Um, several years later, after my father passed, um, there was a B-24 Liberator 
at the same airport at the flight museum and my oldest brother and my husband and I got to go up in the B-24 Liberator and I thought I'd be scared of that too but I wanted to feel what it was like to fly in a plane like my father did during the war and to see what that was like. Um, I can't imagine being as young as he was going into battle uh, and not knowing if he would ever come home um, and I wanted to at least get a little glimpse of what that was like. So uh, we went up and had a B-24 experience and that was absolutely a blast. Uh, and there were more than a few times when I felt tears welling up because I was thinking about my father and my mother and the times in which they lived. Um, and my brother got a great picture of me. Um, I had printed out a picture of my father with his leather helmet on and he looked very much like Robert Redford in that movie, The Great Waldo Pepper. My dad was a very handsome man. Um, and he's smiling from ear to ear in that picture. Um, and I had printed a copy of it, folded it up, and uh, put it uh, in my shirt so it was close to my heart. And at one point, I took it out when uh, I was feeling very emotional, and I looked at it. And I turned around at just the right time, and my brother caught a picture of me. Uh, and it's not the best quality picture, but it means a lot to me because I was crying at that moment and smiling at the same time. Um, and another realization of, of so many things in my life, but that I had overcome that. And we'd all gotten to experience what it was like to be in the B-24. So, so that was the icing on the cake. It only took another, I don't know, nine years to make that happen. But um, anyway... What's the moral of the story? The moral of this, it's not really a moral, but my lesson for you is that I believe you have to make it personal. You can do the textbook thing like I did, and you can take the course that teaches you how to survive a crash. You can do a lot of things that people advise you to do, but to really make it stick and to make it something special for you, there's gotta be some other reason. There's some other thing in your life that matters more than, I don't know, it matters more than I need to travel for work. It has to be something you want out of your life that motivates you to overcome it and to have a very special experience. So um, I hope you've at least enjoyed the story and maybe taken something from it, something to think about when you're trying to overcome your fears, whether it's a fear of flying or a fear of other people or, you know, a million things. Um, in future episodes, I'll share some stories of other things I've done that might be considered whack, maybe not, I don't know, but I did them to keep overcoming my fears. So until then, face it, you're afraid. No, really, face it. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and be well.